The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. Bible, go ahead and open it up to James chapter 3. We're in a series right now called Sticks and Stones, and we're talking about the words that we speak. We skipped last week because it was Mother's Day, so let me kind of catch you up on where we started a couple weeks ago. We talked about how life and death are in the power of your tongue. Life and death are a big deal, and, and it's released through the words that we say. So our words are a big deal, and the fruit of your lips you're going to eat from tomorrow the fruit that you're going to eat tomorrow is based on the, what you're speaking today. And so we understand based on that, that we cannot just speak freely. We cannot just say whatever we want to say, that our words matter. And so we need to be intentional with the words that we're saying. We need to guard our mouths and be careful with what we say. So today I want to talk to you about overcoming words. Now when I say overcoming words, there's, there's actually two meanings to that. The first meaning is this, that if we're not careful in life, uh, our words can overcome us. That if we're not pointing our words in the right direction, that the words that we're saying can actually sabotage our life, and your words can be used by the enemy to become an enemy of your life. You can be your own worst enemy with the words that you're saying. And so we've got to learn this and understand this. I want to show you this today. The other thing that you need to understand is that you can overcome the world by your words. If you say the right words, if you're speaking the right words out of your mouth, it releases God's power in your, in your life that can help you to overcome some of the stuff that's tripping you up and that's hurting you. So we got to get control of our words. We've got to speak the right kind of words. So James chapter 3 is actually, uh, this whole chapter, uh, verses 1 through 12, James, inspired by the Holy Spirit, gives us the longest discourse on our words or on our tongue uh, that's in the Bible. Now, when I, it's going to talk a lot about your tongue here. And remember from that first week, when we talk about the tongue, we're not talking about your physical tongue. We're talking about what the tongue produces, which are words. So this, these, these verses talk about how powerful your words can be. All right. So James chapter three, starting in verse one, it says this, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. How many of you agree? We stumble in some stuff, right? We mess up. We make mistakes. Anybody make a mistake? We all make mistakes. We mess up. We, we do bad stuff from time to time. Look at this. It goes on to say, if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man. It goes on to say, able to also bridle the whole body. So James tells us here that if you can get your words right, you can get control of your body. Now, I don't know about you, but I've noticed in the world that sometimes we struggle with our body. Anybody notice that? There are areas that our body, our flesh, wants to do things that sometimes are not in agreement with God's best for our life. For example, overeating. Your flesh sometimes wants to eat a lot of food. Your flesh wants to eat the wrong food. Me and, me and the kids were talking about this just the other day. They were like, my, my daughter Bo, who's pretty interesting, we were driving to this restaurant, and she said, Dad, why is the really good food so bad for you? And the, the bad food that tastes bad, why is it good for you? Like, why is broccoli bad, good for you and it tastes bad? And why is cupcakes taste so good, but it's so bad for you? And I said, I don't know. I believe it's the curse of the law. It happened at the fall of man. I believe all food tasted like cupcakes before the fall. I have no biblical grounds for that. 
but I don't know. But, but here's the thing. We, we want to eat the wrong stuff. Like my kids would drink soda every meal if I let them. Their flesh wants that. Our flesh will want stuff that's not always good for us. We can overeat. Uh, sometimes anger. Anger is something that can rise up in our flesh. You get mad. You feel anger rising up inside of you. Uh, lust. Uh, illicit sexual desires, sexual desires outside of what God has ordained in the marriage bed that can rise up inside of us. Even fear can rise up inside of us. Uh, Telling my wife here a little bit, Sarah likes to scare me. It's like her jam. And she's always looking for opportunities to scare me, I've noticed. And so I've kind of learned this. I'll come home from work, and if it's 5 o'clock, 5.15, 5.30, and, and I walk in the house and there's nobody there to greet me at all, then I know that they're hiding somewhere and they're looking to scare me. And so they'll, they'll pop out and say boo. And so I've kind of learned, and I, and I like knowing this so that when they pop out, it's like that didn't scare me at all. But there's sometimes that she'll, she'll get me. Like a few weeks ago, I was coming home. I had been out meeting with some guys in the church and was coming home kind of late. And typically Sarah's, she's, she likes to go to bed early. So about eight o'clock, she starts heading back to the bedroom, getting ready for bed. And I was coming home after eight. So I was expecting her to be back in the bedroom, was not expecting her to be in our dark kitchen as I walked in. And I walk in and she pops up from behind the island. And when she pops up, my body reacted. And here's what my body reacted and did. Before I knew it, like I was ready to punch my little sweet wife. Now I didn't do it. Okay. So put, get 911 off your phone. Didn't happen. But I, it took me a moment to be like, Oh, that's Sarah. I'm not going to punch her in the face. Like but my body just did that. And you've probably heard stories about people and, you know, they, they get afraid. And when they get, so, they get so afraid that they lose control, right? They lose control of bodily functions, you know? You, you scared something out of me. You've probably heard these stories before. When I was in junior high, I worked at, at a camp. And uh, there was a guy that was a little bit older than me that was in high school. And we worked with the horses. Uh, we were wranglers. And he was driving this team of these big horses, like basically Clydesdale horses, and, uh, and he, he, we'd given, he, the guy that was normally with him, the head wrangler, had stepped off and let him drive this team all by himself. And so it was night, and, and somehow he lost control of these horses. They took off running. They got spooked. They ended up running into a tree. He got thrown from the wagon. We, we, they found him. He was fine. He had a few bumps and bruises. But the problem, the bigger issue was he didn't just lose control of the horses that night. He also lost control of a bodily function. And it was the stinky kind. Now listen, when that was happening, as those horses were running away, it wasn't like he decided in that moment, I know what I'll do, this. And no, he lost control, right? And that just happened. Here's my point. Sometimes our body does stuff we don't want it to do. It wants stuff that aren't in agreement with what God desires for us to want, what he wants us to desire, And so, but what James tells us here is that if you can control your tongue, your words, then you can actually overcome some of the desires of your body. You're you're struggling with overeating. What are you saying to that? Are you speaking the word of God over that? You're struggling with pornography. What are you saying about that? Are you speaking the word of God over that? We've got to say the right thing. And so then James goes into here, he goes into verse three and he gives us, he goes into, I want to show you four points today that I think speak to how amazing our tongue can be and, and what it can do in our life. And then at the end, I'm going to give you a fifth thing that will help us to control our tongue. Okay, so we'll pick up verse 3. It says this, it says, Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouth 
that they, may be, that they may obey us and turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are large and are driven by fierce winds. In other words, there, there are storms that come against them. They are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member. You know, your tongue is small. Compared to other parts of your body, it's not near as, as big as other parts of your body. So sometimes it's overlooked. And, the, and what it does in your life is overlooked, how you release words. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how, a great, how great a forest, a little fire or spark kindles. So, so James is telling us here that your tongue is, is a powerful thing in your life. And if not controlled, then it can be controlled by the enemy and be used against you. can be occupied by the enemy to be an enemy in your life. And your own mouth can be one of the worst enemies in your life. The words that you're saying over yourself. It's a big deal. And, and so our words are powerful. We talked about that in the first week of the series. But what I want to show you today is, is a, I want to point out a little bit more how powerful they are and how, how we overlook them because here's how they're powerful. They're disproportionately powerful. In fact, if you're taking notes, that's my first point. Our words are disproportionately powerful. The tongue is disproportionately powerful. In other words... Even though it's, it's small, its power is great in your life. It's huge in your life, and we overlook it. We don't consider how big of a deal that our words can be. And so then James gives us these analogies. He gives us these three analogies. The first one is that of a bit in a horse's mouth. A bit is a metal shank that runs across a horse's mouth that's attached to reins and is also attached to a bridle that, that is on a horse. Now, you may be hard for you to believe this today looking at me now, but when I was a kid, I got really into horses for a while and actually got really into rodeoing. In fact, I was a junior, I have a little card, I was in the Junior Rodeo Association deal and I wanted to be a team roping uh, rodeo guy at one point in my life, about 12 years old. And so uh, at 12, I got my first horse. It was a two-year-old horse named Jake. And I got him, when I got him, he was two, and he had just come off the racetrack. He's a racetrack horse, and so he was broke, he was track broke, which meant uh, you could put a saddle on him, and you could get on, on his back, and he knew how to run really fast with other horses, but that's about all he knew how to do. Now, I wanted to break him to be a, a team roping horse, and it was, a, it was a lot involved in that. In order to be a team roping horse, he had to learn how to track a calf or track a steer, which meant he would have to be trained to the point that he would learn how to actually follow the calf and chase after it so that I could rope it. He had to learn how to back into the corner of a chute and sit there and wait until it was time for him to go after it. He had to learn how to have a rope swung over his head without being afraid that it was going to hit him the whole time. It took a lot of work with this horse to get it trained. And he didn't like it at the beginning. I remember when I first got him, he was always trying to get me off of him. He'd buck. He'd try to rub me up against, against fences and trees. He would do the whole Ohio Silver thing with me where he rises straight up. And that's a fun thing to experience on a horse. He was doing everything he could to try to get me off his back. But I had an advantage over him. Even though I was 12 years old, I weighed about 85 pounds, I could control a 1,000-pound horse and bend its will to mine. Why? Because I had control of its mouth. I had control of a tender spot on that horse. And through those reins and through work, I was able to train the direction of that powerful animal and get it to do what I wanted it to do. Listen, what James is telling us is, in your life, your tongue is powerful. It has the ability to direct 
the power of your life, to direct the direction of your life if you learn how to control it, if you learn how to put reins and a bit in it and control it the right way. Your words are powerful. They are a powerful force in your life. In fact, it says this in, uh, in James chapter 1, verse 26. It says, those who consider themselves religious. Now, that word religious, sometimes today, especially in the church world, we don't like the word religious. Like, we don't like religion. We want relationship with God. But because we think religion is formula, and, and it can be. But in this verse, that's not what it's talking about. The word religion there actually means serving God. So it says this, it's actually saying, if anyone among you thinks he is serving God, and yet he does not keep a tight rein, and reins are attached to the bit on the bridle of that horse, keep a tight rein on the tongue, he deceives himself. And his religion, his serving God, is worthless. Here's, here's what, what this verse is telling us. If you're not controlling your tongue, if you're not controlling your words, you're going to have a hard time serving God. You're not going to be able to serve God if you're just letting your words run wild. You're going to have a hard time. If you just let anything come out of your mouth and let your, your, words, your words just run wild in your life, then listen, you're going to have a hard time serving God. Think about a wild horse. You know, we think about a wild horse and it sounds like a beautiful thing. You know, a painting of a wild horse with its mane blowing in the, in the, in the wind with the grass and running around. But listen, you, what you don't know about wild horses is wild horses have a really hard life and they don't live very long. Because they need someone to control their hoofs and how their hooves are growing. They need someone to, to trim their mane. That mane that's blowing wildly gets a bunch of burrs and a bunch of stuff in it and ends up falling out because it's out of control. Their hooves end up cracking and it, and it, and it makes them limp and they die because, because they're, not, they're not in control. And beyond that, a wild horse has no purpose in life. It has no direction in life. It has no goals in life. It is worthless. And our words, if they're not pointed in the right direction, they can be worthless in our life. And our life will become a worthless life. Our, worth, our, our life will not be going in the direction God wants us to. There's no point to our life. There's no purpose to our life if we're not directing our words in the right way. You guys tracking with me? So we got to learn to put a bit in our mouth. we gotta, we got to get this figured out. The next thing that, that James talks about, the second analogy he gives us is a rudder on a huge ship. I don't know if you've ever been to the ocean before and seen some of the great, like, Navy battleships that are out there. I've been to San Diego. I've been to Hawaii before. I've seen some of these, these amazing battleships and carriers and some of these ships that are just, it's, it's, it's so impressive. And the guns on these things, how huge they are. It's, it's, it's amazing. Some of them are the size of like a Las Vegas hotel. And, and what's really interesting is I saw this video one time. This lady was on this battleship and she was in the control room and they were showing her how the thing worked and the steering wheel for this thing is actually smaller than like a car steering wheel. And that steering wheel is controlling the rudder of that ship which controls the direction of that ship. And so with that steering wheel, it controls the rudder. Now the rudder of that ship is not near as big as that ship is and yet it controls the direction and the places that that ship is going. And there are great forces working against that ship, currents and winds and waves that are crashing against that ship. But if that rudder is pointed in the right direction, that ship is going to go in the right direction. In the same way, listen, your tongue is like a rudder. It's got to be pointed in the right direction. And if it's pointed in the right direction, it's, it doesn't matter what's coming against it. You'll be able to go in the right direction if your words are going in the right direction. And this is so important, whether you're in good times or bad times. I was reading this week that that a good captain on a good ship understands that when you're in the middle of a storm, you have to have the ship pointed in the right direction. And you know the way you point a ship in a storm is you point it into the storm. You take the storm on. 
Because if you don't, what can happen is if the ship is pointing in the wrong direction, waves can crash against the side of that ship, can, can actually cause it to capsize, and can cause it to sink. And sometimes in our life, you know, we all face stuff. We all face storms. We face stuff that comes against us. And because our words are not pointed in the right direction, when the waves of trouble and the issues of life come against us, what does it do? It causes us to capsize and it causes us to sink. And some of you are being sunk because your words are not directed in the right way. This is good stuff. But, but it's, not just, it's not just in the storms. Listen, it's also just in the peaceful times. When things are good, that you still have to watch the words that you're saying. Let's say that this week you decided you wanted to, to take your family out here on Lake Hefner and do a little sailboat trip. You know, you, you got a little picnic and, and you got your, your spouse with you or your kids with you or maybe your boyfriend or girlfriend with you and you're going to do a nice little, little boat ride. It's a beautiful day. The water is just still and the wind is just slight. Although we live in Oklahoma City and that's hard to believe, but it's just a slight wind. And so you got this little picnic, and you got it all planned. So you, you get out there, you get on the boat, and you guys shove off, and you get ready to start going. But then you realize something as soon as you get out in the water. You don't have a rudder on the boat. The sailboat has no rudder. So listen, you're going to have a bad boat ride because <laughs> you cannot direct the boat. You're, the boat is now at the mercy of the currents. It's at the mercy of the wind. You can't keep it from running aground. You can't keep it from running into rocks. You can't keep it from the hazards. You have no control. You're not going to get where you want to go because you have no control. And for some of us, because we have no control of our mouth, we have no control of our life. Or, Or because we're saying the wrong stuff, we're running our marriages on the rocks. We're running our relationships onto the rocks. We're, we're causing crashes to take place. Why? Because we're not controlling the words that we say. Your words are like a rudder. You've got to learn to control it. Your, your, your words are determining the direction of your life. If your life feels like it's going in the wrong direction, if the power of your life feels like it's heading in the wrong direction, it's probably because your words are not heading in the right direction. Here's the third thing that we see. He says that your tongue is like a fire. Now, fire is a great thing. When it's controlled, a fire in a fireplace can, can warm up your home. You can roast marshmallows, do the whole s'more thing. We love that. A fire in a candle can bring a fragrance into your home that, that fills your home with a beautiful fragrance, a beautiful smell. A fire in a lantern can bring light to darkness around you. A fire in control is a beautiful, wonderful thing, but out of control, it can do a lot of damage. A fire out of control can burn up a home, can burn up a forest, it can burn up your possessions, your, your, your loved ones, it can kill people. It can do a lot of damage. Forest fires that do damage to thousands and thousands of acres. And, and, they, and they take place, and when they take place, the damage that this stuff causes can be felt for years and years to come. These forest fires that take place, it takes two to three years for the forest to, to recover from that damage that takes place. And it all typically takes place because someone was driving down the road and they flicked a cigarette butt out a window. Or they, they had a campfire going, and one little ember got away and started a huge, huge fire. And sometimes in our life, we don't recognize what we're doing. And we're going through life, and we're taking these words, and we're just kind of flicking them out. We're saying stuff about our spouse. We're saying stuff about our kids. We're saying stuff about ourself. It it's not that big a deal. It's just a little, it's just a little, just a little flame. Imagine if you, were, you, you saw somebody and they're walking down the road. And, and as they're walking down the road, behind them are just huge forest fires. Just stuff, everything is burning up behind them. And you walk up besides this person and they're, they're just walking down the road and they're going, I just don't understand why this devastation keeps following me everywhere I go. There's always these fires everywhere I go. It just seems to follow me all my life. 
And the whole time they're saying this, they got a box of matches and they're lighting these matches and throwing them over their shoulder. I just don't get it. I don't understand why this keeps happening. Why these fires? That last, that last little fire back there burned up a thousand acres. It's so weird. I don't understand why this keeps happening. Duh, right? Like we would look at that person and we would say, dude, quit throwing matches over your shoulder. Quit being so loose with the matchsticks, okay, dude? That's what's hurting you. And what James is saying here is that we're that way with our words. Some of us are burning up everything around us because we're just flicking these little words out. We're just saying whatever we feel, whatever we think, whatever's going on. We're speaking about the natural things of this life. Just saying whatever. Your words are a big deal. And some of us are, are hurting the direction of our life. We're keeping ourselves from the promises of God. We're keeping ourselves, we're hurting people. We're doing devastation to people around us. And we don't realize it because we think it's not that big of a deal. But it is because your tongue is disproportionately powerful. It's very powerful in your life. You've got to learn this. All right, here's the second thing we see. James 3 verse 6 says this, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. Now, we're going to skip verse 7. We'll come back to that in a minute. Go to verse 8. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Okay, so here's the second thing that we see. James points out to us here about our tongue. Our tongue is naturally evil. Your tongue is naturally evil. The default setting of your tongue is to destroy if you don't change it. And if you don't believe me, think about children. Nobody has to teach kids to say mean things. Nobody has to teach kids to be ugly with the words that they say. And nobody has to, they just learn it. And they get good at it. Do you guys remember junior high? Anybody else remember junior high? People get good. I mean, junior high, here's what happens. If you have any kind of imperfection in you, somebody else is going to find it, and they're going to bring it to your attention, and they're not going to do it in the most grace-filled way. I mean, they're going to let you have it. When I was in junior high, I, was, uh, I wasn't very tall. I was actually really short for a long time. I didn't hit a big growth spurt until I was a sophomore in high school. So I was always a good head shorter, like the guy, all the other guys were a head taller than me. I was like looking eye to eye with a lot of the girls. Some of the girls were taller. It was, a, it was super annoying. And the other thing that was a problem for me was, I don't know how well you can tell this, but I have kind of pointy ears. You guys see that? And they've actually gotten, as I got older, they've, they've, they're not as pointy as they used to be. When I was a little kid, though, they were super pointy. So I was short and I had pointy ears. You guys tracking? So you can imagine what you get called when you're short and you have pointy ears. Elf boy, Elfie, Keebler, Spock. You know, I got this all the time. Live long and prosper, Josh. Hey, shut up, right? But no one had to teach these kids to do this. No one was like, hey, that kid, here's the thing. No, no, no. We just learn it because here's the thing. In a fallen world, a fallen tongue is a natural thing. That's the default setting that we all have. Our, our tongue is going to speak the wrong thing unless we change it, unless we reset it the right way. We change the default settings of our tongue. We have to, we have to do that. Look at this next verse with me. Verse 7, James chapter 3, verse 7. It says this. It says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind... So it's talking about how all these other animals, all these other things in the world, they can be tamed. But verse 8, but no man. Now when it says man there, it's not, talking about, it's not talking about male. It's talking about humans. 
It could be, it could be human, woman, man, any, any one of those. No man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Here's the third thing that we see here. The tongue is humanly untamable. You in your own strength, with your own willpower, cannot tame your tongue. You cannot change the default setting on it. That's the bad news. The good news is, though, that God can tame your tongue. God can help you to tame your tongue if you'll partner with him. See, God created your tongue, and so he can help you to tame your tongue, to get your tongue to say the right, the right things. In fact, I'll say it this way. The tongue is humanly untamable, but, it's, but it is divinely tameable, and the one who can tame it is the one who made it. Now, Exodus chapter 4, we have Moses and God having this kind of interaction, and God speaks to this idea here. Moses is arguing with God about this calling that God's placed on his life to go into Egypt and to let his people go. That's, that's what God's calling Moses to do. And so, and so Moses is struggling with this. He doesn't think he can do it. He doesn't believe he's got what it takes to do it. Verse 10, it says this, Then Moses said to the Lord, O oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent. In other words, I'm not good with my words. I haven't tamed my tongue. I don't have that ability. Neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant. Here's what that says. He's saying, I haven't been good with my tongue when I lived in Egypt. I haven't been good with my tongue before I knew you. I haven't been good since I've known you. I've never had control. This has always been an issue for me. This has always been something I've struggled with. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Now look at how God replies to him. So the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? God says, hey, bro, who made your mouth? Who, who put that thing on you? I have given you what you need to do the assignment that I've given you. You think I don't know the situation? I'm well aware of the situation. Some of you need to hear this because some of you, t- sometimes we think, I don't have everything I need to do what God's calling. You have everything you need if you have God to do what God's called you to do. You have more than enough. He's saying, you got, you got me with you. He goes on to say, or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? He goes on to say, verse 12, now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. This is incredible news, my friends. God wants to be with your mouth. God wants to teach you the things to say. He wants to help you. He wants to guide you. He wants to give you wisdom and what to say and what not to say. In fact, it says this in Luke 12, verse 11. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's sharing with them about as you go out and minister, here's some things you need to understand. You you don't have to know it all. You don't have to have it all figured out. He says, now when they bring you to the synagogues and the magistrates and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. Don't worry about that, guys. Don't feel like you've got to have it all figured out. You've got to have the perfect speeches. You've got to have it. Don't, don't worry about that. Verse 12, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit wants to help you. He wants to give you wisdom in what to say and how to say it, when to speak up, and listen, when to shut up. Can I get an amen on that one? Sometimes we need to know when to shut up. I know there's been times in my life that, I've, 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 I had something kind of rise up in me to say over, over my wife. And I felt like, I don't know, and I went ahead and said it. And as soon as I said it, I was like, man, I just bounced a check of the Holy Spirit right there. Wrote a hot check. Should not have said that. Holy Spirit's saying, shut up. Some of you need to listen. The Holy Spirit's going, shut up. Be quiet. Don't say that. He wants to help you. And sometimes how he helps us is he tells us to be quiet. Just listen. Quit talking so much. Turn to the person beside you and say, you talk too much. 
Luke 21 verse 15 says, says this, Jesus talking again, he says, for I will give you the right words in such way. You guys really enjoyed that. <laughs> I will give you the right words in such wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to reply or refute you. God wants to help you. He wants to give you the words to say. He'll give you wisdom. He'll, he'll give you the words to say. If you'll, if you'll allow him, if you'll listen, he can speak to you. And I'll show you how you can do that in a little bit. Let's jump into the fourth thing that James teaches us about our tongue. Verse 9, he says this, James 3, verse 9. With it, we bless our God and Father. With it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude or likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be. Blessing and cursing. Life or death. That's what it's talking about. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or grapefruits bear figs? In other words, can a tree produce two different kinds of fruit? Can an apple tree make oranges? No, it cannot. It goes on to say, thus... Uh, no spring yields both salt water and fresh water. Here, here's my fourth point here this morning. The tongue is contrastingly productive. The tongue is contrastingly productive. Now, it's a big word. Contrastingly means to exhibit unlikeness on comparison. Uh, so let me explain this. Your tongue, your words have the ability to do something, to produce something that is very unnatural, very uncommon. Uh, no tree can, can bear apples and oranges. It produces one kind of fruit. Uh, no spring can spring forth both, both fresh water and salt water from the same spring. Can't happen. And nothing produces outside of its kind, typically. And yet our tongue has the ability to produce life and death. Remember, we, we started with that in this series. Life and death are in the power of or the, under the control of your tongue or your mouth, the words that you say, life and death. Two things that are total opposites can be, can be produced from, the, from one source. This is totally unnatural, totally not, not normal. And so what God wants us to do is he wants us to choose, to choose life. He wants us to choose blessing, not to choose death, not to choose cursing, but to choose life. In fact, Deuteronomy 30 verse 19 says this, this is God talking here. I see, he says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I have set before you life and death. Life and death are in the power of your tongue. Look at this. And blessing and the curse. So we have this choice in front of us. This is a choice that God's given us. This is like the easiest multiple choice test in history, right? Life or death. Blessing or cursing. Hmm. What's better? Like this seems like it would be so obvious and yet... We've struggled with this for years, since the beginning. Remember Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? What's placed in front of them? Life, the tree of life, a tree of blessing, and a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, a tree of death, a tree that's attached to the curse. Life, death, blessing, cursing. And what do they choose? They choose the curse. And, and, we, and before you get all mad at them and say, they messed it all up for all of us, listen, we've all made the same choice. We all make this choice. And so I believe, I think God is, obviously he knows that. And so he gives us this, this multiple choice that should be so obvious here. But he doesn't end it there. He doesn't just say, hey, this is a really easy choice. You should make the right one. He actually goes on to say what the right answer is. He says, therefore, choose life. <laughs> he gives us the answer to the easiest multiple choice test in history. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. The, the bad news is, my friends, that death is in the power of your tongue. 
And that the enemy wants to occupy your mouth so that he can cause curses to come against you and your family and and wants to keep you from the purpose of God. That's the bad news. The good news is that life is in the power of your tongue. And God wants to occupy your mouth. And he wants to help you so that you can release his blessing over your life. And you can walk in the fullness of what he's called you to walk in. Life or death, blessing or cursing. We have to choose life. How do we choose life? Take a note, write this down. You've got to submit your mouth to God. You've got to submit your mouth to God. You have to be willing to submit your mouth, your words, to, to God's will for your life. Our part is to, to do that, to, to submit our tongue to God. And then as we do that, God begins to work with our tongue to make sure we're saying the right things and begins to transform our tongues to where the default setting is no longer to speak death over ourselves. But we do this by submitting our tongue and we, we make this choice. Okay, so the choice is life or death, blessing or cursing. We're to choose life. So what is life? How do we choose life? That's my fifth point. Here's how you choose life. You choose to speak the word of God because the word of God is life. The word of God is living, it's active, it's a powerful tool that God has given us. Now, when I talk about speaking good life, I'm not talking about just speaking anything. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying this is, you know, Stuart Smalley, daily affirmations, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. That's not what I'm talking about here. This isn't Dr. Phil. This is the Word of God. The Word of God is alive and living. It is where we find the life that we need to be speaking. The Bible says this in Proverbs 3.1, The Word of God giveth life. Proverbs 4.22 says, talking about God's Word, says, For they, the Word of God, are life to those who find them and health to one's flesh. Notice it says it's life to those who find them. you got to find it you got to get in the Word, and you got to discover what the promises of God are for you. you got to f- look at the situation that you're dealing with and find scriptures based on God's Word to speak into the situation that you're dealing with. John 6, 63, Jesus said this, The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. Jesus was the Word made flesh. What He says is the Word of God. He spoke life. The Word is life. So it's real simple. If you want to speak life, you've got to speak the Word of God. You've got to learn what the Bible says. You've got to memorize it. You've got to get it down inside of you, and you've got to release it. And when you do, listen, it is a powerful weapon that God has given you against the enemies of this world, against the attacks against you, against the darkness of this world. It is a powerful, powerful weapon. In fact, when Jesus was, was in the wilderness for 40 days, and, and he was at the point of starvation, and the enemy came against him, In those moments when the enemy came at him with lies and half-truths and began to try to get him to do things that would cause him to disqualify himself from the purpose that God has for his life, how did Jesus defend himself and fight against the enemy? He said over and over again, it is written, it is written, it is written. He used the word of God as a weapon, and he didn't just know it, he spoke it. He said it out of his mouth. The Bible talks about in, in Ephesians 6 that we're to put on the whole armor of God to defend ourselves. That we're in, a, we're in a fight and we have an enemy who wants to destroy you, wants to kill, still and destroy you. And he's looking for opportunity. So we're to put on this armor. And then it lists this offensive weapon that we've been given. In verse 17 it says, take up the sword of the spirit. A sword is a weapon, isn't it? The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Those two words, the word, are the Greek word rhema, which means the spoken word of God uttered by a voice. 
So how do you take up the sword of the Spirit? You get the Word of God in you and you speak it out of your mouth. And when you do that, it becomes a powerful, powerful weapon. Look at this verse. This is so awesome. This one, this is one that got me pretty excited this week. Hebrews 4.12. For the Word of God, the Bible, is alive. We're talking about how it's life-giving. It's living, right? And powerful. Now look at this. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. A two-edged sword is a sword that has a sharp edge on both sides. You guys follow me? Sharper than a two-edged sword. Now, Revelation 19, verse 15, talks about when Jesus returns and how he's going to return when he comes back riding this white horse in power. He's going to come back, and it says, and out of his mouth goes a sharp two-edged sword. Now, two-edged there in that verse and in in Hebrews 4.12 is one of the, it's a very interesting Greek word. The New Testament was written in Greek. This is one of the most interesting Greek words in the New Testament. It's a compound of two words. The first means two or double, and the second part of that word means mouthed. So here's what, here's what we understand about this. That, that the word of God is a two-mouthed sword. If we want it to be a double-edged sword, it has to be a two-mouthed sword. How does it become a two-mouthed sword? One edge of that sword is put on it when God spoke it into existence and spoke it into his word. The second edge of that sword is, is released on it when you speak it out in your mouth. In that moment, that sword becomes a double-edged sword in your life that you begin to wield against the attacks of the enemy. That becomes a powerful force that helps you to overcome. This is a lot better than I'm getting amen for. The word of God is this amazing gift that God has given us. That we can't just read it, we got to get it in us and we got to speak it. We got to release it into the, the atmosphere, release it into our problems so that we can overcome our bodies, we can overcome our flesh, we can overcome the, the things that sometimes overcome us. We can be overcome by our words or we can overcome by our words. What are we going to do? Life or death, blessing or cursing. Choose life, choose to speak God's word. If you've got fires going on in your life, you've got to put out those fires by speaking the word of God over those fires. If you have no direction in life, you find direction by speaking the word of God into your life. God's word is a powerful tool. The word of God is life. And when it's spoken in your life, it produces life. It is life to those who find it. We've got to find it. Now, I want to help you with this this week. So I found some word for you. If you go to newsongpeople.com slash speak the word... Yes, speak the word. I have put together on that page a bunch of of confessions that you can begin to speak over your life based on scripture. And you'll find the word, you'll find a confession, and then you'll find some references behind it based on what what you're standing on there, okay? I'm going to read you some of these, and it's okay if you get excited. Let me remind you, this is the word of God, okay? I'm just going to give you a few of them. I am a member of the body of Christ, and Satan has no power over me. I overcome evil with good. And then references, Luke 10, 19, 1 Corinthians 12, 27, Romans 12, 21. I'm going to give you the rest of these without the references. You can look them up later. I will fear no evil, for the Lord is with me. His word and his Holy Spirit comfort me. Oppression, fear, and terror will not come near me or my family. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. No evil will befall me, neither will any plague come near my dwelling. The Lord has given his angels charge over me, and they keep me in all my ways. In my pathway is life, and there is no death. Because I am a doer of God's word, I am blessed in my deeds. Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. Christ has redeemed me from poverty. Christ has redeemed me from sickness and disease. Christ has redeemed me from spiritual death. I trust in the Lord with all my heart and I do not 
lean on my own understanding. In all my ways I do acknowledge him, and he directs my path. Jesus has made unto me wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Therefore, I confess I have the wisdom of God, and I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am filled with the knowledge of the Lord's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. I am a new creature in Christ. My old nature is taken away. Behold, all things have become new. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is the word of God. And there's a lot more there. So go download that, those, copy that, put it on your phone, print it out, put it on your mirror in your house. Keep it with you. Speak it. When you're struggling, speak it. When you wake up in the morning, speak it. Before you go to bed at night, speak it. Speak God's word. Release this powerful weapon called the word of God out of your mouth each and every day. Speak life. Choose life. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.